0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Rachel and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the Swedish market.
1: Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Today I am joined by Frederick, Magnus, Diogo and David to discuss ways to improve as a leader. Before we delve deeper into this topic, I'd like to work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do and what your biggest passion is currently. David, do you want to kick us off?
2: Yes. Hey everyone and thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh yes, so my name is David Bozjak, and I'm originally from Slovenia, but I moved to Sweden, the Promised Land, in twenty thirteen, and I've been, you know, I've been loving it ever since. So I have a developer background. I worked as a software engineer and later as a tech lead on, you know, both small and very large companies. But in about twenty eighteen I switched to a manager track and I've been I've been managing people uh, ever since. So uh, my biggest passion right now is probably Advent of Code. I'm a very big fan of uh, Advent of Code and can't stop talking about it, even though you know it's not December currently. Uh, and in general, all of my sort of like hobbies and interests are indoorsy. So to compensate for that, I do have a dog uh, that drags me drags me out. And I consider the most interesting thing by far about me is that I survived a week long hike. In the Arctic Circle. Uh, so, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I think.
0: Oh, wow. That's really impressive. I couldn't imagine hiking in the Arctic. But thank you for that introduction, David. Uh, Magnus, would you like to go next?
1: Absolutely. It's nice to be on the show. Thank you for having me so i live in Malmo, sweden and i run my old company called Loftisoft as an independent expert on the azure space so i've been been with microsoft azure since it was called windows azure since the very 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 beginning of it um i'm working on my 12th azure mvp title at the moment so i'm i'm, I'm a deep expert in that space and um i do you know work a lot i do i have to admit um when i don't i i just go outside my house because i work a lot from home. and then i keep working a little bit on my outdoor kitchen so i do not like the barbecue stuff i think i'm a, I'm a very standard person in that regard I, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who works in tech and likes to barbecue oh wow a uh, big surprise um other than that you know it's it's um, it's a passion to 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 work with technology and people and in that space, I've been working in a lot of different teams. Um, and, and that gives, I guess, hopefully, uh, some experience to uh, both functional and, unfortunately, dysfunctional teams. It's nice to be Look, with you.
0: Lovely introduction, Magnus. Thank you for that. Diogo, would you like to go next?
1: Sure. Uh,
3: yeah. the First, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Diogo. I am a Senior Product Manager at SoVentures. Uh, Ventures is uh, the... Venture studio, and uh, we help uh, uh, startups, early stage startups, to take their next step on their businesses. Uh, yeah, uh, at my work, what I love is that uh, I do get to talk to the most passionate and think- interesting people in the whole world. Uh, so, meaning the founders and the uh, startup people. Uh, and uh, yeah, my passion, so I think that uh, right now I'm uh, really into, or have been since a while. Uh, into the breath work, and and I am really into psychology and uh, sustainability. Uh, I have been learning more and more about Amtech uh, and uh, the startup ecosystem in Sweden. Uh, yeah, and uh, I do share uh, the the end of uh, going out for a walk and uh, enjoying the amazing, strange Sweden.
0: Oh, fantastic introduction, Diego! Thank you. And finally, Frederick, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: I'd love to. Thank
4: you, Rachel, for having me on this show. We're uh, happy to be here along with uh, Diego, David, and Magnus. Uh, first of all, I need to ask David: Did Sweden prove to be the promised land? Oh
2: yes, absolutely.
4: I uh, I'm very, very happy to be here. Awesome so um my name is frederick um i uh most recently came from a young, uh, position of uh, being the vice president of engineering um managing an engineering department and kind of my background is software development um back inside of it uh, i've spent some a number of years in the azure oh. <laughs> azure swamps if you call it that uh but um most recently i've uh, spent number of years in the management consultancy space working with group efficiency, group dynamics, and kind of the bi- connecting business strategy through agility into the tech department. So that's been kind of my professional history so forth. Um, privately, uh, I like riding motorcycles to the point where I've competed in international rallies uh, across Europe and uh placed fairly well on on the lines of being the only swede to finish and, and stuff like that so um i like my motorcycles i'm always itching to get out on the bike uh preferably outside in the nature off-roading so that's uh, that's my passion in the uh kind of offline world
0: amazing frederick i'll be honest i've never been on a motorbike but one day i will get out there um amazing introductions from all of you and i'm really excited um to have you all on this podcast today so now that we've established, you know, a context for each of you, let's move on to the topic and focus. So you all have a question or a statement that you have prepared on ways to improve as a leader. As usual, what I will do is I will work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So I want to start today off with Diogo. So, Diogo, your question was, what practical tools and habits do you use to enable you as a leader? I think this is a great question to start us off on. So, can you tell me more about where this question came from?
3: Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think that I spend a big amount of time in which I can improve my growth mindset. One it's that's being a leader, but I think that uh, also focuses on the learning. You have to be comfortable with failing, And... uh, the speed of failing just uh, decides the speed that you are learning, right? So I think that it's super important to have uh, tools in place to improve uh, leadership in own, but also uh, about but also uh, self-leadership, definitely.
0: Amazing. What are everyone's thoughts on that? oh well, Frederick.
3: <laughs>
4: practical tools to enable me as a leader. I would say that the most practical tool I have is recurring meetings in my calendar where I block out everyone else because the the minute I get out of touch with my own brain is where I start just producing nonsensical output. Um, my brain needs to be in touch with my mouth. Um, as a friend of mine said a couple of years back, is uh, when when someone starts rambling and just talking and says, "That's what happens when your uh, mouth is working overtime and your brain is on vacation." <laughs> uh, so to me, it's That's just
3: amazing plot.
4: Yeah. So so my best practical tool is to block out time slots in your calendar and and don't let anyone else tamper with them just get out go for a walk um or as in my i guess i go out to to the lake and sit at the dock and, and have a look at birds and just let uh, my mind wander that's actually what i tell some of my direct reports that i don't expect them to sit in front of a screen eight hours a day because they need to put their minds into that journaling mode uh that's where the, the smart thinking happens so make sure that you reserve time for that journaling mode
3: i think that's uh, if you're directly you more into something uh, really interesting about uh, regarding the tools uh, for a better leadership and it's uh, psychological safety right i mean uh, given the fact that uh, we are most of uh, the time uh mainly when we're working uh, with tech you're working uh, with heuristical uh, problems, uh, so problems with different solutions. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, crucial to start from there when uh, you are dating a team. And um, I also, I started talking about growth mindset, and I think that's uh it's uh, really requires a big chunk of that uh, both from uh, the particular uh, from the leader, but also uh, from the team because. Uh, there are all, all these uh, four phases, four stages of the uh, development, and uh, without uh, a being aware of that and uh, b being uh, willing to to go through these phases, phases to uh, being uh, being an effective team, it's uh, really hard to move forward. Absolutely,
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, this is uh, it's interesting because I went to that same direction uh, as you did, Frederick. Just. Try to think about things that I, I do that are not my work, right? Because uh, that's really where, where the problem uh, begins and ends, honestly, that you uh, think that if you only spend a little bit more time and a little bit more focus on, on working more hours or more trying to like, force yourself to be focused and, and, and efficient, uh, it's, it's just destined to fail. Uh, you have to give yourself a break. Uh, so that you can uh, be really good when you are working. And uh, uh, recently I, I started thinking a lot about the fact that we do this, like the, all of us are sitting down at a desk um, and we're having a conversation or a meeting and uh, a po- podcast could be a meeting, right? And we do that all the, all the time, all days. Uh, and uh, a lot of flexible work hours also now means that we're working a lot from home. Uh, which means that the office that we sit in is is our world. Um, There's like 10 steps to the coffee machine, and I don't know, 15 steps to the bed. And it's just weird. Um, So I I realized that we have to include our physical selves in this world because it's not natural for a, a biological entity, a human being, to sit still like this. And so I, I forced myself to put a regime there where I take breaks and I, I, I exercise because I, I want to be able to stand up and, and uh, lift heavy things when I'm 85. And um, we're, we're making deposits for our, our retirement already uh, in, in terms of our physical self. And if we get to exercise and, and work out our, our, our body a little bit more, when we do sit and work at the desk, that's when we actually can focus and, and deliver with good value of the time we spend in meetings and, and working. I think that's a really good point. And here I can, I can admit
2: to one of my, one of my sins, but like I, I jumped on one on the walking desk bandwagon, like a few years ago. And that is actually life-changing, I think. Like I, I take every single meeting that I do from home now on a, on a walking desk, I type all of the emails on it and it's fantastic. You get so many kind of like these, you know, free steps. But I also feel that like my body's, you know, behaving just like differently when it comes to stress and handling stress and just getting that day, you know, getting away from sitting in a chair all day uh, is is really, you know, a new paradigm shift. So I know that, you know, there is a, a little bit of stigma and that there is also a little bit of, a, you know, like bare entry barrier, but I really encourage everyone to, you know, just, Try to give it a try at some time, find to maybe like a shared uh, shared office that has one of these. Uh, I think it could pay off very quickly. I still do encourage everybody, including my direct reports to take breaks. And I think all of the other things uh, that you said were also very, very good. Uh, but there is something about getting more, any kind of physical acti- activity in the daily in the daily routine. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah I totally agree. I think that uh, uh, it's so important to have a sustainable ways of working and uh, just referring to what has me said before about uh, uh, not booking meetings for the sake of booking meetings and uh, speaking faster than your brain can, uh, can call packs, uh, I really think that it refers, at least for me, uh, for the difference between executing and uh, reflecting. I think that when you're a leader, you have a pile of tasks and uh, you're uh, your uh, speed and the capacity of prioritization was to, was the most important uh, thing to do right now, and uh, also the one that is uh, creating the most value is uh, key as well. And for uh, that, so we we're talking about the different tools, I think that um, it's super important uh, uh, to include in our team the habits of doing reflections, uh, if you can't do it daily for 30 minutes, just do it two months a week, but to separate the execution from the learnings and, uh, and reflection. because otherwise you're just going to be judging yourself all the time while you're producing. And that's not effective. Uh, that's not healthy either, I think. And uh, on the same or similar topic uh, of uh, learning tools uh, for leaders, I think that's uh, feedback. God, I think that this is really an underrated uh, tool. And uh, my experience, I don't know uh, yours, David, I think that's uh, your experience. Then sometimes it might be, be a little difficult to uh, receive and uh, and uh, uh, give feedback. And, uh, but uh, I think that's, uh, that's uh, an investment for a team and for yourself because there are people that are paying good money Mentors uh, for uh, uh, other people that are uh, guiding them on their career, and uh, you're getting into free. So just take advantage of that, and uh, it is a present. It's a gift. Mm-hmm.
2: I really like this about feedback. Is you know that really the key to is is to ask for feedback frequently. So I I ask for feedback at the end of every one on one that I have, like every single one of them. And I also encourage everybody to ask feedback because there is actually research that shows that brain like physically reacts to feedback differently when you first ask for it, like when you seek it out. So it's not only that you will get more feedback that way and then be able to improve on it, but like you will be more receptive to it first because it was, you know, in a way it was your idea. Um, so that, that can be a very powerful tool, tool for growing. Yeah, and, and to your point about the timing on feedback and,
4: and asking for it proactively, I mean, if, if you, so there are a bunch of things around that, but if you don't ask for it proactively, so then the sender of the feedback will, will have to ask if the recipient is ready to receive it. And even worse, I mean, as we, as I'm sure that all of us have seen it in the dysfunctional teams we've been in, someone runs up to someone, let's imagine that someone has been on stage and just given a talk and the person comes off stage and someone goes to that person, that person probably full still of cortisol and adrenaline, I goes, Oh. I need to say this thing about that speech you just gave and that person has been prepping and, and dry running and doing all these things for weeks, perhaps before the speech just even went off the hook. Do you think this person is ready to take some feedback? Maybe he or she is, but I would bet, I mean, coming from, from the business we come from, I at least looking to myself, if I've delivered something, I need some time to kind of digest what just happened. I don't need someone running up to me saying, all these different things because i'm not ready to listen to it i'm not ready to take that on board so the timing is super crucial and and to your point just inviting it takes away some of the the problems around that timing
3: yeah there is also this uh, model that uh, makes uh uh feedback here. So the, the there is this model that uh, can be used to visualize uh i don't know if you guys know about uh uh the uh, window. That's a, not, that's a tool that you can use to kind of visualize the power of feedback. Uh, so it's divided into four quadrants. Uh, what I know about myself, what I don't know about myself, what others know about me, what others don't know about me. And uh, in the fourth quadrants, you have the arena, the blind spots, the hidden, hidden and they are not. And uh, when uh, you get feedback, you are just increasing in the arena area, meaning what I know about myself, you know, what's in me. Uh, and what uh, others and me. And for me, it's, uh, understanding this tool and uh, seeing this model really helped me to visualize uh, what feedback actually did. Uh, I'm a very visual person. So seeing it in a, in a grass really helped me. Could you share
4: with me what the name of that tool was? I, I just tried to do some ninja Googling here while you were talking, I couldn't figure it out. And maybe perhaps our listeners would uh get a grasp on that as well
3: sure it's uh uh yo harry with j and uh and age window joe harry window
4: uh-huh okay cool yeah oh
3: okay yeah yeah and also i just wanted to hear your guys' opinions on the on the myth uh, of uh the hamburgers did back
2: ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh I wonder if this is going to get uh, bleeped out, but I've also heard it referred to as a shit sandwich.
1: Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think that personally, um, I, the groups that I've, I've coached in, in in handling or learning how to give and receive feedback, the first thing I try to yank out of them is the notion that there exists, uh, positive and negative feedback, um. Because that's kind of evaluation that sits with the sender. Um, something that I usually got told in terms of feedback when when I had coached groups is that Frederick, uh, when you observe our group work, you look so angry. Uh, okay. The thing is that when I observe group work, I just I sit in the corner with a neutral face because I don't want to give away any, kind of subtle, indicator, subtle indicators of whether or not the group is performing as expected or if they're overperforming or if it's just oh god no just shaking your head like jesus that's just crazy no 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 please don't just taking away all those subtle signals is perceived as sitting in the corner and looking angry now the sender res- of that feedback might say i need you to need to give you some negative feedback well let's just call it a wish for change because The sender could wish for that to be changed. But the thing is that I will not change it because the change would then give the group a bunch of subtle signals of how they're performing. And that's not the point of the exercise. So yanking out the concepts of positive and negative feedback and replacing that with, I want to emphasize this or I would like to change that. Then I can take that as a recipient. I can take that on board and I can evaluate whether or not I want to change it or whether or not I want to emphasize it or increase it. So um, that's kind of my, my first step in kind of getting around the whole hamburger-ness uh, of it. Because at the end of the day, it's all about improving the relationship and improving on how we cooperate. And regardless of whether or not I want to kind of dial something down or
2: dial something up, it's going to end up being better. I really like the way you, you phrase that. And then I'm, this is not super related to feedback, but like I'm a big fan of uh, intent-based leadership from David Marquette. And his latest book, Leadership is Language, uh, talks a lot about this kind of stuff, like how, you know, like yes. how we're communicating with a group, what kind of signals we're giving, especially as leaders. And it's, you know, it's just as good as uh, Turn the Ship Around, like it's a fantastic leadership.
4: And the, the importance of language, I'm working with a, a leader uh, currently, uh, and she, she is uh, quite direct uh and uh, she has a direct report that it is not so direct and it's just interesting for me to see how how i can help her figure out ways in communicating that won't cause kind of friction because that's where they they spend some time having friction and they need to figure out how to to change that and just that, that i spend a lot of time helping her see the the aspects of how the language she uses is perceived so uh, really to your point, David, I uh, I, I fully agree with the, the language being a, a portal to how we per- are perceived as leaders.
3: This, uh, would you just say, that reminds me of uh, a sentence that I heard once, that, uh, that we shouldn't treat people the way we would like to be treated, but uh, we should uh, treat people the way that they would like to be treated. Uh, yeah. And uh, also, uh, I think it's... Uh, it's uh, being a leader calls for a lot of uh, empathy skills. Uh, you have to be able to read the room, to understand uh, uh, what, uh, who you're talking with, speaking to your public, and um, and adapting your behavior to the needs of uh, of uh, and the context. So I think that's uh, you, you guys were talking about uh, books, and uh, one of my uh, favorite authors uh, is uh, Brené Brown. You, Yes, probably heard about Dare so to League, and uh, if uh, if you if you are not if you don't care about your group, then uh, I think that it's hard to say that you're a leader. You uh, might be a boss, but you probably aren't a leader. Too sure.
0: Yeah, Fantastic discussion there everyone and what I kind of wanted to touch upon with this kind of um tools and habits I thought David you had an interesting question on how does your support circle look now I see this as another tool that leaders can use and you kind of wanted to talk about you know who do you confide in where do you get advice and how does that help you grow could you introduce us to this topic a little bit talk about maybe your support circle
2: absolutely and yes I think like this is a support group or a support circle or some kind of a support system is a very important topic for many uh, for many managers because the issues we deal with are usually not something that can be discussed freely, especially when it gets really hard uh, especially when it's like you know HR questions and you know like or like when it's really difficult then it's like really hard to find somebody to that you can discuss this. often it can't be your your team. Uh, and often other leaders at the same, like at the same companies are either too remote or too involved. So you kind of like, it's hard to get, uh, you know, the support that you really need. So here I actually have a, a story that comes from uh, another leader who was, I was a co-worker with, uh, we were peers. That was also uh, a guest on this podcast, uh, Michael Barysh. And he joined us then at, at storage all the time. As a, as a new leader. And he was like, you know, he was there for a few months and he was like, hey, I'm really missing something. I'm missing that, you know, that support group or that, you know, connection between each other. So he introduced a forum that changed my, I can say this, he changed my career with this. Uh, and I can go in deeper about that later on. But basically he introduced a f- very informal forum at the, in sort of like tech, tech management. And he said, hey, we're going to go around the room and we're going to discuss, you know, like the the, wins that we've had in the last week, because we don't celebrate wins enough. And we're going to, um, and we're going to talk about challenges and, you know, like we're going to be as anonymous as we need to be, but we commit to everything that is said in this room stays in this room. So we brought Vegas to Storytel, right? Mm-hmm. And this evolved with time to be, I think like the most important forum I have for my growth. Um, so like now none of us are at Storytel any, <laughs> anymore but i still have a support group forum uh that basically tries to does this assembles different leaders and then we go and we discuss uh discuss issues um that that we have and we're anonymous about them but you know we get we get to rubber duck not as a developer but as a as a manager but we also get you know somebody who can say oh but i've been through this before or you mustn't forget about this or maybe you're not seeing the full picture and that is sometimes very valuable to to hear uh so knowing how important Having a support group has been at least for for me. I really wanted to hear your takes of it because I'm hoping that I get to learn something new and introduce even that into my um, into my puzzle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 a nice angle that you have there to to have a forum where, where you have people that you can trust. And I immediately start thinking about the people that I know that I speak uh, with at uh, sort of at a, at an eye level, if you will. Um, I work as again as a, as a technical expert, right, and Essentially as a consultant, right? And what I do is I bring technology and expertise to my customers that they don't have. So I can't really talk to them about it. And I can talk to my wife about it. She's actually, after this many years together, she's actually surprisingly good at having a technical conversation. She's not a technical person, right? Not at all. But but she can do it now. She can totally do it. And, and she can make sense of technical things, which is uh, hopefully maybe something that has made her life bigger. I don't know. Maybe maybe she feels the opposite. But um, the, the the group that I feel that I can... Speak to at eye level uh, are the people who are actually quite similar to myself, but they they work like live in different countries. Um, they're all Azure MVPs and and technical leaders in in either in the company where they work or as a consultant, and um, we share a lot of the same world uh, in terms of language, in terms of experience, uh, both in tech, but also in in the kind of experiences we have working with companies, with projects, with teams. So the those people are people that that uh, are similar to me. Sure, you can sometimes have value from talking to someone who is not like you, but um, I feel a lot of confidence from these people, and uh, and I can confide in them, and we can, you know, they always have very smart things to say when when we when we talk uh, deeply about tech and other things. Um, and so I think that's um, that's a good that's a good uh, you, you should have a group. You know, uh, of of confidence uh, that that speak your language, uh, if you will. Yeah, it's
3: super interesting with uh, support groups, uh, and uh, it's all about uh, the two ends, right? So the giving and the taking, and uh, the the receiving point, It's uh, I think it's quite obvious. Uh, everyone wants to get out of it, uh, and uh, it's all about the learnings and uh, you're growing your network, you're growing professionally. But I also think that uh, uh, there is a lot of learning to be made uh, on the giving point. Uh, When you're teaching, you're just exercising what you have learned and uh, showcasing what you can provide of value to to the communities that you're going. And uh, I think that here it's also super important uh, to look for uh, these communities and uh, the groups that uh, are on the outside on your own group and being some kind of ally and uh, enabling those uh, to join the same culture that you believe in. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, talking about sustainability, I believe that, uh, uh, for example, if we uh, lift the topic of uh, women in tech, uh, it has been very much debated and. Uh, you as the, being a leader, can you be an ally on including them for people in the same or uh, or for Black people? Uh, can you be an ally uh, in uh, including them and calling them in to this uh, group of uh, that knowledge is bubbling? Uh, so I think that's also super important to have a diversified uh, support group uh, Many of the ones that are outside the uh, bubble and the ones that are challenging your uh, ways of the senior rules. I mean, social network is already lots about uh, echoing uh, your own opinions, right? So uh, having people around you that are challenging it, it's super enriching.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, good of you to point out the the echo chamber aspect because I was circling that in my head while you were talking that um so, so regarding support groups i i um there are a bunch of things that come to mind on my end personally i've enjoyed having an executive coach uh who is kind of external to the problem um i also as as you do magnus i have a a wife to beat uh that i've known for close to 10 years now she as well is now capable in explaining what microservices are um so uh doing some good progress there. Uh, no, but she um, she works as a management consultant and uh, has, has uh, leadership responsibilities in, in that uh, domain as well. So it's quite enriching to kind of bring the problem outside of its context. That requires me to kind of abstract it away from the nitty-gritty details that might otherwise suck your focus into it. And I need to kind of verbalize it or articulate it in a different manner. And I then get the response in return that I need to adapt to the situation. all in in that translation kind of go, oh, okay. I see clearly now. Um, so that to me has also been super helpful, um, on the topic of support groups. I think that that's a really complex matter. Um, especially if you end up in organizations where you have leaders, leading leaders and kind of that multiple layers of that cake, cause if you crawl up that ladder a couple of rungs you might end up with a leader sitting in a support group where one of the leaders present in that support group is the topic of the conversation without that person knowing it um so i've i've been personally a bit skeptical about that but um so, so i've i've tried to kind of bring my laundry basket outside of of the office and and do the abstractions and and talk about it in, in that manner. Um, not to say that support groups don't work. Um, but pr- I, I, and I would assume as well, that if you start picking people from in a large company, if you've got 2000 employees or whatever, you start picking people from across the globe and they meet there and are first time users of that support group. How do you know that someone is willing to kind of take the plunge into that group and say, well, Hey, here's my failure. Uh, I don't know how to fix it. Could you guys please help me? Well, that requires psychological safety. Um, and we need that pre-work with those people involved in that group to be able to kind of, well, take the risk, take the social risk of taking the plunge into the pool and saying, Hey, look at me drowning. Um, I haven't seen that happen too often in new groups, but, uh, there is always that exception.
2: I definitely agree with that. Uh, this, this exercise takes a large degree of trust. Uh, and you know, achieving achieving uh, trust and achieving psychological safeties, um, you know, very diverse exercise. It takes different things in different different context. Um, so obviously, for this to work, there has to be an aim to get there. And then how exactly sort of started. So for you know, for us in in both times when I was kind of like at the start of such a process it was already a group that was relatively familiar with each other, like already had a relatively high degree of trust. It would be a very interesting challenge to try to, you know, to try to get there with a group of strangers. Uh, hopefully I don't, <laughs> I don't have to do it quite like that ever. Um, and then when it comes to topics sort of like, you know, what's, what can be discussed or, you know, like what, you know, can, uh, uh can sort of like managers of participants also be in the group? Or is that, is there that going to introduce fear of reflecting on somebody's yearly review? Or, and those are, you know, obviously really good questions to take before. So for example, in a, in a group that I have now, we are saying, Hey, you know, like no, uh, no direct re- management responsibilities in between. So if somebody introduces a new member, that's you know, a direct report of somebody else or is managing somebody else who's already a member of the group. We're counting on them to solve it so we're not saying hey you know like the more junior person stays or the more senior person stays we're saying you know we're all adults hopefully we, you two can discuss who gets the most out of membership in this group and then resolve it uh that way but it is very important to kind of like have rules up front right so that you yeah. you, you don't end up in tra- um in trouble later.
0: Definitely. And I think with that kind of topic of trusting and, you know, trusting your team, trusting your counterparts, I kind of want to look at Frederick's question now. So your question looks at, you know, the hybrid and remote working environment that most businesses have nowadays. Namely, how important is office presence when it comes to understanding a team's efficiency? Could you tell me a bit more about this, how how this question came about to yourself?
4: So, uh, first of all, I'm sorry to bring in this dead horse into the room uh, because this question has been beaten to death uh, in so many different contexts and conversations post-pandemic. but the reason f- that this popped up again is that I ended up in a conversation not that long ago with a person who's uh, managing a department at some place. And, uh, the conversation turned into, um, uh, there being a need to make sure that staff is present in the office. And I poked around at it a bit and it turned out that the reason was that, uh, it had been uncovered that a couple of individuals had been slacking off for a while, um, a year. Also, uh, I'm like, oh, a, a full year. Really? Yes. Okay. Um. So h- how did that happen? Well, I think we should be in the office more. Now, that was, and I'm, I'm kind of conden- condensating the conversation a bit, and it was a bit more verbose than that, but it really got me thinking that, okay, so I've, I've got in front of me a, a leader that now wants to start talking about bringing people into the office and, and i'm not advocating that we should stay out of the office to 100 percent i'm also not advocating that we move into the office 100 i as a friend of me told me is i think that the answer needs a more intelligent and uh, sorry i think the question needs a more intelligent answer than it's either that or that um so it's got me thinking in terms of okay so what is the problem that we're trying to solve and is that problem in fact solved by moving people into the office so you've got people slacking off uh, while working remotely. What's to say that they were efficient before the pandemic? And what's to say that they're efficient once they get into the office? My take on it is that we don't have a presence problem. We've got a motivational problem. We've got staff that are just not connected to the thing that they're working with. There's no engagement, probably. And that is a near leadership problem to me. That's what At least that's what it seems like and that's what it looks like. And it's almost as if we're trying to again kind of solve a a problem with the most obvious solution. Let's bring them into the office so that I can have a look at what they're doing. At the end of the day, they might be just tapping on the keyboard, but you don't know what the tapping acts. What prompt, I mean, are they really tapping into VI or are they just chatting in some IRC or Slack channel? Who knows? But the tapping the keyboard, it looks efficient. yeah, you can probably figure out on which kind of side of the the conversation I end up, opinion-wise. But um, to 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 the topic of how to improve as a leader or ways to improve as a leader, which is the topic of this podcast, I really believe that we need to start kind of taking that step back and figure out what is the real problem that I'm trying to solve here. If that's while barbecuing or if it's while doing breath work or if it's while going out walking with your dog i mean these thoughts need to be had not just throwing some sort of apparent solution to a problem that has appeared in front of us
2: and i love that and it feels yeah I, it, it feels so interesting that it's you know like i think the question uh, the answer that you gave is so spot on it's like oh but do you know that they were efficient like before you know i just remember all of the ping pong tables and all of the stuff that we were trying to do before then and it's like oh yeah we were in the office And a lot of stuff got done and then we were at home and a lot of stuff also got done. But, you know, there's always bad apples and there's always really, really good employees who pour their heart and soul into something. And it feels unlikely that you transform one into the other by forcing them (laughs) to go to a building, right? That's probably not not the one. Um, But, you know, like in the day, we're kind of like, you know, we have probably more matrix than anybody ever, you know, before, you know, like, we, we read these books, when old guys were going around with stopwatches and stuff, but like, we could have if we wanted to, if that was really the key, the tracking, that was really the key, you know, like, then we should be better off than any manager generation ever before. But that's probably not it, I think, I think it's a lot more about engagement and motivation, just like you were pointing out. Um, So that's kind of like where where I land on that question is, you know, obviously, engagement and trust are a lot more important than seeing each other, even if that does add value as well.
1: Well, That's interesting. I think this this kind of turns into uh, four people in a choir, and I think it seems like we're in the same same team on this one, Um, and certainly uh, that as well um as a as a consultant this is that that's been my my profession my whole life so i haven't been employed with uh, with anyone who hasn't been working for someone else right so that's i uh, and you go to your customer site and you work at the customer's place in the customer's team with the customer's things and then along came the pandemic and it turned out that you know all of that important being there in the team being present uh, actually wasn't that important we we didn't you know uh, succumb to to uh uh you know productivity loss uh, during the pandemic it actually worked out really well um uh, now having that said i strongly feel of course also that it is nice i mean i would have enjoyed i enjoyed talking to you people here today right but i would have enjoyed sitting in the same room doing it honestly and so there's obvious value in in face to face uh meetings uh, as well um so I think that, that a healthy balance is the, is the way to go, where, which is uh, based on flexibility and, and team agreement. And as a leader, you can agree that we will have, you know, we will figure out when the good meeting times are, when it's time to, to meet and sit together and, and maybe do some work together. And we'll, we'll schedule that. Uh, maybe, hopefully, we can have a solid schedule that, is, that, that, that people like that it's, it's Tuesdays, right? Or, or Thursdays, right? That's when we're in the office. And uh, and other times we can be a lot more flexible. Of course, you can still come to the office and work together when you need. Um and and when it's more convenient and flexible to, to be near your home, maybe you have to take your your car to the shop or 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 figure something out with the kids. You know, people have lives, so that balance um, is is a lot healthy and uh, brings a lot more value than uh, micromanaging whether or not the time people spend is actually productive time.
3: Yeah, uh, and uh, I think that's uh, something, uh, Magnus. Uh, if, you're, if you're going to be uh, in the office every Tuesday or, or every Friday, or whenever, I think it's super important to have uh, an alignment on the purpose. Why do you have to be in the office in the first place? You know, because uh, I totally agree also with Frederick that this is definitely a problem with motivation. And uh, uh, while you're talking, about was, uh, thinking about these uh, three uh, pillars of uh, motivation, that is autonomy, purpose, and mastery. I have a really hard time uh, believing that there is anyone, any human being in this world that uh, is not uh, just created to thrive in whatever they do and feel well. And, uh, so this is uh, just a basic need. Uh, Everyone wants to feel happy in what they are doing. They want to feel fulfilled. Uh, and uh, just telling them, you have to be at the office when half of the build, uh, half a possibility to be more flexible. I mean, the autonomy there is already at play. <laughs> just fucking there, right? Um, so, yeah, I think that it's uh, also the, the need for control. It goes absolutely against the, this VUCA world that we are living today. And again, referring to, uh, on a digital product and, uh, on products that are focusing on innovation, you just cannot control the circumstances on your world. And uh, you shouldn't be micromanaging your, your, your employees in the first place because uh, it's just productive. And at the end of the day, uh, you're not focusing on the most important thing that uh, your uh, company is doing, which is creating value. You are focusing on. Just the control of it. And it's, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money.
4: Yeah. And then and I've, I've been talking about this with the partner peers around my network. And the, the agreement is that we seem to be stumbling over ourselves because we try to measure. We, we, we work in a business where we use our brains to think about stuff, thought work. The idea that we could measure the output or outcome of thought work in the same way we measure production line work it is crippling to leadership i would say um because these these are two different things they need two different types of of measurements or measure kpis if you want to call it that or whatever floats your boat um and at the end of the day to me at least it's about i need to make sure that the people i work with that they step up regularly, that they do the thing that is needed to be done at the point in time when it needed to be done, within reason, of course, and hopefully within business hours, of of course. But, I mean, this is nothing new pre- or post-pandemic. We used to, as managers, have a reasonably good idea of who in our team did good work. We used to have a reasonably good idea about who we needed perhaps manage to get on point. Was doing good work but it had nothing to do with where we were located it usually was connected to uh, i don't know water cooler talk or uh, people just sending an email that i fixed this thing even though uh, we didn't have observability of it but i saw it and i fixed it it's it's running smoother now next monday we should take this into the sprint and uh, get a proper solution into it or, or a proper fix in for it okay that's stepping up so there's always kind of that Personal marketing or managing your personal brand in the organization—that's something I usually talk to to my uh, people about. That make sure that you're kind of mindful and aware about how you build your personal brand, because that's what's going to carry you forward in the organization and build that trust and build the capability. So, what is what is Magnus' trademark in the organization? What is David' trademark? What does that mean? And Diogo' trademark? What is does that mean when people look at it and say? This was made by Diogo because it carries the traits of his or her management style based on who we're talking about.
2: I like this so much because it's such better advice than just, oh, you know, make sure to be seen by working long hours or, you know, make sure never to leave the office before your boss leaves or, you know, any, any of that uh, stuff that's in, you know, if anything, just making us less productive by ruining our, you know, our uh, life balance. Uh, I think this is really good advice, Frederick.
3: Not only productive, but uh, also unhappy, right? I mean, if you have a horrible life, if you are happy with doing, you're not going to be productive, not. Uh, so yeah, and uh, I think that's uh, by what you're saying, uh, Frederick. And uh, I think that also states the difference between being a leader and being a man- manager, right? Because uh, the manager is the person who's saying, yeah. Up the trees faster and uh, the leader is the person who's saying wrong forest uh so uh it's it's really important if you're a leader that you have this in mind that's okay now it's time to be the manager to do things more effective and now it's uh, time to set the tone and uh, show the direction and just let the people do what they are best at because they cannot be as good as everyone in your team so empower them and um, create the safety space uh, uh interest them to learn more and you uh, I, I really doubt that uh, uh, it's not going to lead to so good results.
0: Now, amazing discussion now on kind of like a more modern working environment, um, you know, hybrid remote working, it is here to stay and it's how we're managing that. But finally, Magnus, I wanted to come to you with your question because that's focusing on the modern workplace. So your question was, as technology is driving a more current and a more modern workplace, how do you ensure that everyone feels included and wants to move forward with you? I feel like this is a very important question, you know, to end us on. So can you tell me a bit more about this?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I can. So it's not only about like modern workplace as such, but more about changes that are quite rapid. Uh, When we stand in front of large change that are happening. I've, I've been going into uh, plenty of companies that are, for example, not using cloud technology uh, and it's not early in the game anymore. It's sort of midfield or latish in the game. A lot of companies have been using cloud technology for for many years. And still, I can come to a new company where they haven't for you know reasons. Um, they haven't been able to 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 get to it and now they are. So uh, you have people that have been working there for the past 25 years. I know how to do IT. I don't need any cloud. And then you have people who are very excited. Finally, finally, we're doing something. Um, And your job as a leader is to ensure that you start, you know, happily and productively using the cloud, including bringing along the people who are, let's put it, less motivated or even outright hostile. Um, that is that is an interesting leadership challenge, and rather than me, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, disclosing my experiences, I'd, I th- I think I'd rather turn this over to the other people on the panel today and see what you think about this. What do you do? I think it's a very difficult
2: question, kind of like introducing a new technology, and that getting getting everybody getting any everybody on board, and then. You know, like sometimes it's about evangelism and then about sort of like, you know, like showing, showing the benefits, showing like how this, how everybody's going to be better, better off. Uh, and sometimes it's about mandates. Sometimes it's about saying, no, like, you know, we are, we are doing this. Uh, like we need to, uh, do this for, for reasons. And this is how we're going to get there. And then sort of like with presenting your vision, hopefully getting your enthusiasm to spread in the room and getting people on board. But some never, uh, some likely never, you Know, like, never will some like it never will get uh enthusiasts or like you know, like, and that's maybe okay sometimes as well. You know, um, I don't think that we need to, I mean, especially like in Sweden, we're a lot about this you know, like a consensus uh, mentality and consensus leadership styles, but you know, sometimes we just need to know where we're going and you know, we will find people to who will help us get there. Uh, hopefully, most of the existing team will get on, will get on board, but. It's the project shouldn't end if that particular part
1: fails, right? You're right. I mean in, in, in many ways the decision has already been made, right? The decision has been made to 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 you know, some probably suits in some boardroom decided that yes, cloud, we're doing this, and then there's like the rest of the organization, you just have to implement it now that we've decided that we're going to do it. And then somewhere you have some leaders that who are, are who are going to affect that change. Um, And that could be a very, very challenging position to to find yourself in. Um, So it's kind of like that, right, David? And there, I think it's
2: super important when it is like that, like to be transparent about that and not kind of like, you know, present the change as an option and get feedback on like, oh, but what do you think about this technology? Or, you know, like which technologies would be your dream technologies? If decision has actually been made behind the scenes by, you know, the men behind the curtain, and we know that, then, you know, Everybody we're working with are responsible adults and they can understand that, but they hate being lied to because we all, as humans, hate being lied to. So if we are told that we can affect a decision, but the decision has actually really been made already, then you know that has lost that motivation for that person forever. There is no recovering from that. Absolutely,
1: you're right.
3: I heard that boss say that uh, uh, change is only good for the ones that, are execute, that, are, uh, that want the change. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're just uh, being affected by the change, that's probably not good for you at all. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I think that it's uh, if the change was uh, or, uh, is on the table, I think that it's super important as a leader to just align with everyone, why, why is this happening? Uh, and uh, as uh, David was saying, I think that there are people that are not going to be happy about that. People are going to be super excited. And uh, can you get some leverage from the people that are super excited with the people that are less excited? Do you have, uh, uh, what are the people that are not so excited? What do they need? Uh, are they feeling uh, straffled? Are they feeling uh, misunderstood? Are they feeling not integrated? I think there, there is this uh, model, called this sparse model. I don't know if you guys have uh, heard about that. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's a terrific uh, uh, way to just like to start investigating what the biggest uh, uh, issue is. So the SCARF is, it stands for the status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, fairness. And uh, basically, uh, it is that uh, most of the conflict, they, uh, they happen because uh, some of these or some or any of these points they are that are important for this specific person they are lacking uh, in this relationship so if you can uh work in that uh, it's uh, it's so it's so important i think that it goes a long way and another thing is that uh, i haven't worked with sharing, uh developments for uh, around 10 years and uh, uh i learned that it's super simple to change the tool it's so simple but uh, to change people's minds and the habits that's where the difficult uh, part is. Uh, and uh, I think that we just, uh, sometimes we believe in business that uh, uh, people are like tools and you just like you press a button, like, oh, everything is fine. That's the answer of all the business problems. But uh, we're not seeing uh, the whole uh, uh, way, right? It's not something A to B. It's uh, A to Z to D, to, and then you're getting to B. Uh, it's not linear. Yeah.
4: the I mean, this is there is a whole discipline to management consultancy on this topic. It's called change management. Um, And there are tools and frameworks for it. We both love them and hate them, as we do with all tools and frameworks. Um, But the the whole idea, kind of the sound background to why change management is, is good is that it takes the human part of change into account. As you guys said, so the easy thing is to get the system deployed and send the email with a new link to people. That's the easy part. The tricky part is to get people on board. I usually say that you need to find the poster persons to be the advocates for that, and those poster persons shouldn't be seats in from whatever border room they showed up in because, and you could argue whether or not that's fair, but you need to find people in all teams, in all areas or layers of the organization that can advocate for this change and say, this is a good thing. This is why we want to bring it on. And you also need to figure out kind of the what's in it for me for each each target group around the organization because you can probably figure out, you can call it personas or clusters or whatever you want to call it. Figure out and make sure that you bloody well appear at the meeting with a good bunch of stuff in the what's in it for me list. If you can't, you should go back to your room and figure out if this really is a change worth its salt. Uh, so So that's kind of... And, and that's not really a response to to your question, Magnus, about adopting cloud-based technologies and, and how we create modern workplace. But we need to make sure that we have our uh, ducks in a row when we approach our organization and say, this is a thing that's coming. Um, but then again, it also depends on what type of change it is. Me working as a leader in, in engineering or tech, I don't have much of an opinion about which accountancy or which accounting software we use. It really doesn't bother me. As long as I can do my expenses and I can have a check on my budget and headcounts and costs and whatnot in a fairly reasonable and simple way, I'm happy. Because probably the the friction that I have in my line of work is minute to perhaps the operational efficiencies that the accounting department can gain. So that's all well and done. But when we talk about stuff like, for instance, in my department, we, we could, I'm just going to take a, an example change control. Uh, if, if that's a thing that you'd like to discuss, I would assume that change control is something that we would like to talk to our engineers to, because they probably have a bunch of fairly well thought out opinions on the topic. So I'd hate for something that relates to the people that are affected by it. As to your point, guys, to be developed on the other side of the fence. Um so th- there is that part of inclusion, but make sure that you include the right people for the right type of change. Yeah. Probably summarize it.
1: Yeah, it's very, very well put. And and so in in these um, you know, engineering and technical contexts where where a change is happening that maybe not everyone is on board with to your point, Frederick, like that you're going to have that. If you have a, a large enough organization, you will find someone who is maybe and I don't want to to stereotype, but let's just, as a, as an example, someone may be closer to retirement and then there's this new big change coming in the company and I'm not sure I want to be on board with that. I, I've been doing this way for, for, you know, 30 years of my career and, and now when I'm close to retirement, I, I am now in a position where everything is going to change and I'm going to have to learn a lot of new things. I don't want to. Um, so if you have a large enough organization, you will come across some persons like this. And what is so key here is to treat all of all of the people involved with respect. Of course, you will find the the forerunners that you mentioned that have been mentioned here, the positive, enthusiastic people that want the change or are embracing it or, or have been longing for it. And you need to have those people as well, but to also have an opportunity of feeling included and, and, and respected, no matter where you are on this enthusiasm line, if you will, right, the forerunners will take it and run with it, and they will do magical things. And you will have uh, a long tail where at the end of that, there are some people that you are going to lose with the with a drastic, with a, without, a, you know, a, a organizational changing, uh, big, big technology shift, like, for example, choosing to go to the cloud. You will have somebody who will will choose to to quit or retire early or, or or leave, and it's so important. And that's where a leader really shows their stuff, is to treat those people with respect and give them the opportunity. Again, this is about opportunities in in my book, to gracefully bow out and say, no, thank you. I will I will care for the the non technical the non cloud things for a few more years uh, until my retirement actually is is here. And then I will retire, but I will not be on the cloud um, bandwagon. I will not uh, sit down to try to learn to certify as a cloud, whatever, or something, right? Associate or something like that. It's not happening. Um, and it's so important that we respect that. Um, as and, and that's where I think, um, you know, again, uh, a lot of leadership really, really shows what it's worth. If you give opportunities to everyone with respect. And then hopefully you can get as many as possible to want the change and and you know get behind the books and uh, you know do the certifications or, or whatever it takes to upskill to that new reality that the company is now about to embrace if that makes sense i yeah. really like that yeah yeah i'd
4: like to to add to that the the importance of of um the near the leadership to kind of take the body of the change that's coming and adapting it to, or at least kind of transposing it to what that means to their context within their end of the organization. We can't have leaders that simply take the thing that came from the CEO or wherever and just regurgitate that without any updates to it because that's just going to be as nonsensical for the recipient as it was for the leader, him or herself probably. So there needs to be kind of that reflection and digging into the matter as a leader to try to figure out okay what does this mean for my area of the the uh, the organization and how do i adapt this so that it makes sense for my people that is to me one of the more important things as a leader not just take the thing that came from above regurgitate and basically press forward on the email
2: i think I you're really honest like- nothing here and like i really i really liked this um uh, weekly leadership nudge from David Marquet and he was talking about a very similar thing once uh but from the opposite side so he was saying like be very very careful when the what is replaced by who and his story was sort of like hey usually when somebody wants to inflict a change or like make a change like let's say that it's the CEO or something they probably have really good reasons right and they probably like present them to their like direct reports or to the board or whoever and they make you know like they're they're a smart person and they've like really reasoned about this and gotten feedback and the decision got made, but then especially in larger organizations, if that kind of like gets, you know, like gets then implemented sloppily and kind of like gets, at some point in the organization gets replaced, all of those good reasonings gets replaced with who, like, oh, the CEO wants us to do this, or, you know, John wants us to do this. And we've kind of like lost the why, but we've now just had a person, then we've kind of like failed. As leaders in propagating
1: change. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that there's a there's a fun uh, uh, book, uh, a, a a fable, a business fable that probably you guys know about right. the uh, the Who Moved My Cheese. Uh, it's a it's a business fable that that talks about four different characters. Um, we don't need to go into the t- too much details, but it it's effectively about. Um, some people, uh, mice, and two people in a in a labyrinth where there's cheese, and then somebody moves the cheese, and and it's gone one day. And the whole book is about uh, discussing how um, how different people, different characters, uh, react very differently to change. Uh, and you you can be enthusiastic and forward about it. You can be curious about new things, but you could also be negative and resistant. I think it's it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant little fable to to consider in in this topic. I think.
3: Yeah, at the end of the day, business do people. uh, Sorry, at the end of the day, uh, people do business with people, right? That's true.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really important. I mean, that kind of really sums this whole thing up that we've been talking about. We are leaders of people. Someone someone previously said we are not leaders of machines. We can't measure people as machines we shouldn't measure people as machines we need to take the human aspect into account in terms of change it is still people talking to people and everyone is human and everyone is facing their own battles and uphills and uh, everyone is imperfect and they're all probably painfully aware of those imperfections and uh just keep it keep it real
0: here here Absolutely. I think there, Frederick, you've actually kind of taken my conclusion away from me. It was so perfect. (laughs) No, absolutely amazing. So before we end the podcast, what I would like to do is just quickly say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts today. You've all done an amazing job and you've all had some very interesting discussions. So you have been Magnus, CEO at Lofty Soft. Frederick, most recently, Vice President of Engineering at Snow Software. David, Director of Software Engineering at Oresbundsbron. And Diogo, Senior Product Manager at Ventures. If you would like to participate in a future podcast or would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.